Hey, what's up? What's going on? Welcome to Dan Yu, brought to you by 265 Media, the show that blends the world of the jock and the nerd. I'm your host, Jay Kristen. On this episode of Jocks and Nerds United, I'm going to discuss coaching. We are going to talk about how a coach in sports, specifically basketball, has to be the perfect balance of a jock, a nerd, and just kind of one of the guys or the girls. We'll also touch on how leading and not just directing also determines the overall effectiveness of a coach's impact on his players, okay? Then we're gonna switch gears a little bit and we're gonna talk about systemic injustice through the lens of the black jerd. Um, And lastly, of course, we'll switch it back and have some fun and we're gonna do the take it to the deck segment and we're gonna continue to get to know each other, okay? Let's go. Okay, let's get right into it. Um, Coaching is something that a lot of people just think you could just go do. Um, But if you ask me, coaching is an art. And a lot of times that art gets kind of pushed to the side because people just think, you know, "Ah, all I got to do is, you know, tell these kids to run that way and and tell them, you know, put the ball in the hoop or kick the ball in the net or, you know, make that tackle or swing that bat or make that catch. You know, it's far bigger than that. Um, If you ask me, you know, coaching isn't something that you wake up and say, ha. All right, I'm going to be a coach. Just same way you don't just wake up and say, I'm going to be a great athlete. It takes work and there's an art to it. Okay. Webster uh, defines coach as one who instructs and trains. Now, that's kind of part of what a coach does. Um, But if you ask me, it's far more than just instructing and training. It's about leading and inspiring. And it's also about teaching. You know, I know a lot of some people, you know, they're saying, well, you know, Jay Kristen, teaching and and instructing are the same thing. Eh, I think they're very, very much related, directly related, but they're not the same thing. Teach, if you look up teach, it says to show or explain how to do something. Show or explain keywords. If you look up instruct, it says to direct or command someone to do something. Direct or command. Now, both have a place in the art of coaching. But a lot of times, the teach part is taken out because coaches just want to instruct. They just want to direct and command these young, these young kids, these young boys and girls and men and women uh, just to, to do what they say, but it's, it's not, that's not teaching them. That's just instructing them. I can tell a kid run to the corner, shoot the jump shot. I can tell them to do that all the, all the time. Kids are like, all right, coach. All right, I'll do it. They run to the corner, shoot the jump shot. They have no idea why they don't have no idea what they're looking for as far as when they see the defense and all of that stuff. I know why I need him to go over there, but I don't tell them because I'm instructing. 
and not teaching. And too many times, especially in these AAU circuits and, and especially on the high school level, that's a pivotal point in any college, any kid's uh, athletic journey. Um, they're just instructing these kids and none of them really learn are taught how to play whatever game they're in. You know, I'm, I'm going to talk about basketball because that's what I know. Um, it's, it's actually sad to see because you, you see greatness in a kid and he has this amazing talent and it's like he really just doesn't know what he's doing. Super talented and he's clearly more talented than the rest of the guys on the court. But he just doesn't know what he's doing. That's all on coaching. You have to put the onus on these coaches. Teach that kid how to play the game. And if you don't know, then you don't need to be coaching. If you can't teach the game and you can only instruct the game, don't coach. You know, uh, I said I, a coach has to be the perfect blend of a jock and a nerd. What I mean by that is um, the jock aspect of it is a coach who's played the game, whether it be on any level, uh, but on a regular basis. For example, a coach that played basketball and he's played in the parks, he's played in, in, in organized, he's, he, he's just played the game. Even if he's never even played a, a, a game of D1 or D3, college basketball he understands that the 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 basics of the game and even the things that he may not have been good at or whatever um he understands what goes on on the court so it's it, usually coaches are students of the game so you know what's going on on the court so that's that's the jock aspect of it. Like I know that it's not necessarily just as easy to just go by somebody. Sometimes you you have to make these moves and you have to make an extra move or some things, little things like that. You know, the trash talking and and all of that and and the physicality of it and things like that. A jock would know that because they've experienced it. You know, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, the nerd who 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 will be the that the part of the nerd is that you know. Well, I know that, you know, that guy only shoots from over there and that guy only shoots from over here and you're good at shooting over here. That's the nerd aspect of it. That's the super student of it. You know, Kobe Bryant, he said it himself, God rest his soul, the, um, that he was a basketball nerd. He just wanted to know everything. You know, that's one of the one of the things I love to watch is how he breaks down film and he is literally a basketball nerd. He's critiquing like the steps forward that the man takes, the defender takes, the steps backwards that the, that the defender takes, his takes, his posture, everything about the game of basketball. He's breaking down. That's what a a, a, a basketball nerd does. And a coach needs to be that. He needs to be able to tell the kid, like, no, don't just fake left and go right. Because the kid will do that. All right, coach, I'll fake left and go right. But if the guy doesn't go for the fake left, then what are you going right for? You can just keep going left. But if a coach doesn't explain that, 
then it doesn't matter. That that goes down to, you know, what uh, Kobe always used to say about the posture and the leaning and, you know, what hand is up and what it's it's so many different things that you can teach a kid uh, if you become a nerd of it. Now, you combine that. And you throw in just kind of being one of the guys or one of the girls, depending on what you're coaching. Um, you you also know what goes on in the locker room. OK, so when you know what's going on in the locker room, as far as, you know, the di- the atmosphere and if when you lose how it feels and when you win, how it feels and the. Uh, the individual interaction of each teammate and the little clicks that happen in, in the team in team on the team, which trust me happens. It's up to the coach to unify that because you know that sometimes, you know, guys just don't like guys. But a great coach can get people to just kind of come together on with this common goal. Like, I don't like this kid, but I trust him as my teammate. You know, those things matter, you know, and once that happens, all of a sudden that I don't like that guy becomes this. He's one of my best friends. So you a great coach knows, takes all of that, takes that jock of I know how to be physical. I know how to work out. I know how to how to teach these kids what's going on on the on the, on the foot on the basketball court. Then you take that nerd and you say, look, I know the the statistics of this. I know how to tell this kid, like, when you're playing against this team, they like to do that because of this kid. And that kid moves over there. And when he does this, then we can do that. That's the nerd of it. That's the chess game of it. Then you take the locker room aspect and you throw in all of the 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 locker room atmosphere that you know matters because a lot of times the the locker room the atmosphere in the locker room is an underrated aspect of what goes on on the court or on the field you know if your locker room is in disarray then your team is going to suck because they don't want to play for each other. They might not mind playing with each other because they like love playing the game, but they won't play for each other. And when you have a coach that combines those things, he, the locker room atmosphere, the, the nerd chess aspect of it, and the jock aspect of it, and you place it into a person, and he uses those things and that knowledge, and he teaches the kids the game of basketball, or football or whatever, but I'm talking about basketball. You teach them the game of basketball. It brings a different kind of uh, uh, team atmosphere. Those kids actually want to play for that coach. They like playing for that coach. They'll go the extra They'll put in that extra effort for that coach because they feel like he is teaching me how to do this. There's a reason why I'm doing this. He can even it even teaches a selfish aspect to it, for for lack of a better term. You know, it's like the coach 
wants me to do better. And if I got to do better, then coach has shown me that it's a good reason for me to dive on the floor for that ball, not just to do it. He didn't just say, go dive on the floor for the ball. There's a good reason for it. And then it helps out my team. And then we win. And then the, 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 in the locker room, we're cheering and, and things like that. All of that matters when you're a coach. Um, it's sad to see coaches that don't teach the game. They don't teach the game. And when you combine all of those things, you get a great coach. And if you ask me, it's, it, it's, it's just that simple. Teach. Don't just instruct. If your goal is to, I'm going to tell these kids how to play. No, don't tell a kid how to play. Teach them how to play. They already know how to, they know how, they know how to play. But they don't, may not know how to play the game. A kid on a football field can definitely run fast and hit hard, but if he doesn't have if he doesn't have technique or he doesn't read uh, know how to read the defense, then he's just gonna be another fast kid that can hit hard. And on a basketball court, oh my God, my mind is going all over all over the place because I know so much about basketball. It's a travesty. To see a talented kid that is bigger, faster, quicker, better shooter than everybody on the court, but he just doesn't know how to play the game. And the coach is just riding that talent because it, it helps, it makes him look good. Yeah, I got that kid. I coached him. No, you didn't coach him. You watched him. I think that is a travesty. I that watching that on in the AAU circuits and on the high school level, it drives me nuts. I hate seeing coaches ride talent. Teach the game of basketball. There's no reason why a young kid should uh, not know that. Uh, he, sh- he should be fouling if you're down by one or two uh, and the other team gets the ball. There's no reason why he should be jacking up a three when you only need uh, one shot, uh, one point to win. When he, he's fast enough to, to go by anybody he wants. There's no reason for that. That's because he had no teaching of the game. Look, get to your spot. We only need one point. We don't need a three. If you can get that layup, get that layup. It's not... It's, it's so sad to see. it. I love to see kids grow up and become great in the sport that they're in because I'm a big sports head. Um, I'm a jerk. That's a, that's a big part of me. So, you know, the jock in me likes to see the kids become great when they're taught the game of basketball. It's just, it's, it's a joy. I, I, I love it. I love it. Um, it's something that I've always 
um, I loved watching, you know, I love, I love watching kids come up and I even, I love watching good coaches who teach the game of basketball. My, my father, he always taught me the game of basketball. He didn't just show me, all right, man, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dribble over here to that cone and then shoot. Now, as you get older, you realize some of these drills are, are very good for you because all, some things become second nature purely because of, of the drills. But physical things don't matter. You know, my father always also told me about watching film, which is another thing that these coaches don't use as a teaching tool enough. They watch the film and then that's it. All right, here's what we're going to do. Oh, why did you, you should have went over there and you should have went over there. Now, break down the film and let these kids know what is going on. Kobe Bryant said, once you do that, the game, when you get out there, it's just moving in slow motion because you know everything that's happening and why it's happening. You know, my father taught me the game of basketball. He always, he never really just said, you know, just, you know, I was a bigger kid. He never just said, you know, get him on your back and then just, just shoot it. You know, it was, you know, feel him, feel, feel the, feel the guy uh, uh, guarding you. Is he pushing you left? Is he pushing you right? Is he leaning on you? Then you make this move if he's doing that and he'd make that move if he's doing this. All of that matters. The teaching of it matters. And it makes the game a whole lot easier, especially if the kid is super talented. All of a sudden, he knows, I don't have to make that spin move, that extra spin move. I could just make one simple move. I just make this one move to the basket instead of making that one dribble and then spinning around. And then there is no, he'll be like, wow. Coach taught me that I don't need to make that spin move because I already got the dude on my head. So I don't need to spin back to him. All I have to do is make the shot. All I have to do is make my move. That's so much less that a kid has to do in, in his mind and translate that onto the court in the analyzing of what's going on. It develops simple instincts that make the game so easy for for kids, especially if they're super talented. You got a guy like Tim Duncan. He's not flashy, but he knows. He clearly knew how to do what he did. It's no wasted moves. Coaches don't teach that because of the the, the game has become so much flash and so and it's so um, geared toward riding talent that you forget. All you have to do is teach the kids how to play the game. Don't just put them out there. And then when they mess up, it's like, right, don't, don't, don't worry about it. Nah, man, tell them why they messed up. Be like Coach Gino. Nah, you messed up. You know why you messed up because I taught you how to do that the right way. And I taught you what to recognize and you... You didn't do that. So I'm holding you accountable. You coming out for like three minutes. I don't care how good you are. And somebody else is coming in. And you know why he doesn't mind bringing that other person in? Because he's taught them too. That's great coaching. All right. 
So I said all that. The good balance, jock, nerd, one of the guys or the girls, mush that all together. You get a great coach. And you get a coach that develops people into greatness. And the cliche is, you know, it's not about just sports, it's about life. And it's true. A coach who has all of those things and knows how to inspire All of that becomes a great coach who, who gives these kids the perfect tools, not only to be great in a sport, but to be great in life. Which is why I think coaching is just more than just instructing and directing. So there is coaching from the mind of Jay Kristen. All right, let's switch it up. Okay, let's change gears just a little bit. Actually, a lot of bit. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit of systemic injustice. Um, I don't believe in hot takes. I don't believe in doing things that are, are trending. But if you ask me, uh, social and systemic injustice is not a hot take. It's, it's, it's something that's real life. And in the recent days um, of the in the George Floyd case, um, we have a cop that that killed this black man, that murdered this black man, and he's now you know just got convicted, um, and hopefully he'll be sentenced right and he'll see you know justice. You know that's it's the one one of the few times that the system has so far is starting to do the right thing. Okay, but we are not going to act like that there isn't a, a, a systemic problem as far as black people, uh, as far as black people's relationship is with the legal system and the system overall. I'm not going to get into the, the, the deep, the, too deep into that rabbit hole of the entire system. I'm just going to talk about the law here. Um, and how the the law targets black folks and it becomes a problem, especially when fear is involved, because it's clear that a lot of officers fear a black person more than they fear a, 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 a white person. This is not something I'm making up. These are facts. OK, um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you it through the lens of of the black jurd okay because i have all these numbers in my head that i've studied and it's not just something that we talk about as far as the injustice goes it's not you know something like ah, you know you're always pulling the race card no it's, it's it's bigger than that and i can prove it okay so a lot of times I talk to people and they say, especially white folks, they say, well, you know, you don't think that, you know, it's just, you know, these, the black, a lot of there's too many black people on the wrong side of the law. My answer is no, that's not it. We don't, we're not doing any more crime than anybody else. 
problem is there's more eyes on us. The analogy I like to use is you have a, a teacher who has a classroom. It's one teacher and it's 50 kids. Kids, kids, kids are going to be kids, you know, you know, they, they're throwing papers at each other, you know, they write in little love notes, they're not paying attention in class, and, you know, they're being fidgety, et cetera, okay, kids are going to be kids, right, all the kids are, are, not, are doing all of the things that kids do, right, now this teacher, who has 50 kids, brings in three other teachers, and she picks out five kids, and she says to those three to those three teachers, those five kids, I want you to watch and every bad thing that they do, I want you to log it, I want you to punish them for it, and I want you to bring it back to me. Now, those little kids are now it's deeper than this, but this is just a this is just a simple analogy. Now those little kids when you look at the paper, look on paper, they look like troublemakers. But the reality is they're not doing anything different than the rest of the kids. Because they have more eyes on them. When you have more eyes on them and those eyes are told to be far more strict to them, then it's going to look like they're troublemakers. When the rest of of the 45 kids, they're just doing the regular things kids do. The same exact things those, those other ones are doing. The difference is that that one teacher is, is watching them. And when they, she does catch them, or he does catch them, then they're like, you know, I don't, I don't want to deal with that now. Just, just don't do that, okay? All right, then you're good. There's no, there's no equal punishment for the same infraction because there's less eyes and those kids are allowed to get away with it and it's the same thing as far as uh, the law goes when you place so many police and in, into these these black and minority neighborhoods then guess what it's gonna look like those places are full of crime because there's more officers there to make arrests. Why do you think when you have suburbia where they have these mass shootings of a kid that has all of these guns in his house and and he's been lighting little kittens on fire? Why do you think that these the those suburban neighborhoods, those white suburban neighborhoods, why do you think that the people when they get interviewed they're like we had no idea because they're not watching no one is watching so they think it gives the illusion that there are not there there aren't people like that in their neighborhood when there actually are um so it's it's a thing that you have to recognize, okay? Now, let's be more direct. So this, the, the George Floyd situation, um, and there's a couple more that happened in the state of Minnesota. So I'm gonna I'm a narrow this down to Minnesota. Now, this is going on in the, in the, entire, in the uh, entire country. 
But I'm going to break this down for you with my what I call the nerd numbers. Okay. And this is the premier evidence of a targeting of a specific people and a racist system. And Minnesota is one of the top racist law enforcement states in the country. I say it's in the top two or three. Um, okay, so I'm gonna break this down for you and then I'm gonna leave this alone and we're gonna go into something more fun. So in the state of Minnesota, the black population in Minnesota. Now, this is the entire black population. This is children, uh, women, teenagers. It's the entire black population is 6%. 6%. That is every 100 people in Minnesota, six of them are black. Okay? I need you to keep that perspective. The inmate population in the state of Minnesota is 36 percent 36 six times more black people are in jail than actually live in the state of Minnesota so if you're black you're damn near guaranteed to be going to jail if you live in Minnesota Native American in the state of Minnesota is just over 1%. 1%. The inmate population in Minnesota for Native Americans is almost 10%. How in the world is that even logically possible? without there being a targeting of a people. Something has to change. We can't let this be, you know, even I even feel a, a little smidge better by talking about this on, you know, Jocks and Nerds United because it, it still brings light to whoever listens to it. Because if somebody never knew those those numbers, then they all they're gonna think is you know black folks is always pulling up, always pulling a race card. That's why, and it's the same way in in the entire country. But being what's going on right now, I'm talking about what is going on in Minnesota. There is no possible way that six percent of that population in that state is doing thirty six percent of the crime. Whites in Minnesota are 83%. 83%. But they are just over 50% of the inmate population. So their demographic is less, but every other demographic is more. Simple logic would say that if more, if there are more whites in that state, just the likelihood of a white person committing a crime is far greater 
than the likelihood of a black person doing a crime pure just by the pure numbers of it. It's more likely that in 83 of 100 people that 20 of them or 10 of them are going to commit a crime than all six of the black people in that hundred. It's not some, it's, that's the simple logic of it. And the fact that that's not happening, that means that there's a clear targeting of a people. And that's the systemic injustice that we're talking about when, when we talk about Black Lives Matter and, and, and the rights of minorities in this country. There's no reason for that. There's no reason to target a specific people just to keep them in jail. You know, it's, it's, it's a reality of this country that we all have to come together and fix. And if me stating these numbers helps someone realize like, wow, I just thought it was just something that, you know, people were saying or black folks were saying. No, this is really happening. And the country mirrors that, that sentiment that those numbers project in Minnesota. They're not that drastic, of course, because there's clearly more than 6% um, in the, of black folks in the country then. But it's, it's the, the parallel is real. It's the same parallel as far as inmate population to the population of the people. So we have to come together to fix this systemic injustice so that we stop getting murdered by police. We stop get, getting put in jail by the law purely because our skin tone is different and purely because the fear of us is different, is greater. We have to come together for this. And this George Floyd situation has shown that we actually have a little glimpse of people being unified and being on one accord. We can do it. We can come together. Even if we force the legal system to do the right thing. It's still a, a, a victory. So let's come together to stop this, the, these lives being lost. It's, it's, it's becoming too common. So let's come together and fix this white, black, everyone. Because if we're together and we tell the system to fix itself and we come together and we push that, then the system is going to have no choice but to switch up. But when we have too many people saying, well, you know, they're, they're, they're criminals, so that's why they're going to jail. Then we have a problem. Now, I'm not saying every black person who goes to jail shouldn't be in jail. 
That's just ridiculous. But um, what I'm saying is, you can't target a specific people and then call them criminals. You're targeting me. I'm going to look like a criminal. Because if I rub my nose wrong, then I'm either getting shot or I'm getting put in jail. So it's the systemic injustice has to stop. And if you are not convinced by those numbers alone, then you won't be. And my heart hurts for you. All right. All right. Let's let's switch it up and let's get a more light, lighthearted kind of topic. All right. Let's go. All right. On a lighter note, let's go. Let's switch it back up because we about fun here. All right. We already we did the heavy topic. We're going to take it to the deck. Take it to the pod decks. Uh, so as you know, what we do on this this segment is we go to the pod decks, we shuffle it up, and whatever comes out is what we're gonna what I'm gonna tell you about so you get to know me better, know how my mind works, how I tick. Alright, let's see. We got let's see what we got here. Shay share your favorite online influencer. Woo! Wow. Ah. I can't say that. Oof, man. My inspiration doesn't necessarily come from online. I might have some uh people that you know, I like their work. But influence uh I'm gonna have to go with if there's a, a person who who's a who who's a good influencer or he, he's a good motivator, it's a cat that a lot of people follow. Uh he does his YouTube channel is called Destroying Videos. Uh, very inspiring kid. Um he chose he chose his his lane and he's doing good in it and that's that's definitely uh something that's pretty motivating but you know my biggest influencers aren't online even though it says favorite online influencer uh there's one his name is daniel artest he's a big influencer of mine um you know, 265 Media founder. He's a huge influence on my push for podcasting and what I want to do. Um, and it's 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 irony. The irony is that you know we came together. You know, we got in touch through COVID. You know, when everybody got shut in at the house, and you know, social media shrinks the world. We started chopping it up. And turns out he's a he's a cool dude, and he was also trying to do podcasting, and he motivated me to you know just go for it because I was pushing it off and pushing it off. So he's one. Uh, another one is uh, my cousin, my big homie, Maurice. Uh, 
man, I, I don't I don't know where to start with that guy, man. He's he's been to the bottom, he's seen the middle, and now he's at the top. And he's a great, great motivator, intelligent, intelligent cat. Um he's about the culture. He's about pushing it forward. He's about pushing it forward positively. Uh, and he actually, you know, outside of my parents and, you know, my brother, um, he actually believes in what I can do and what I can bring to the table. Um, and it's very, very refreshing, motivating and seeing him do what he does. It's inspiring to, to feel that, you know, it's, it's, it's inspiring to know that somebody believes in, in what you can do, you know, cause I like to be creative, you know? So he actually believes in, you know, my, my creativity, you know, and he, he lets me know that he does. And it's, it's, it's refreshing. It's good. It's good to know that somebody believes in your work. You know, and when I watch him and I see how he moves, he's not just talking. You know, he's out there, you know, for police reform, out on the streets. You know, he's mentoring young men to keep them out of jail. He's in the jail talking to these young men. You know, so he he's definitely a, an inspiring dude that helped me um, make a commitment to becoming whatever becoming something more than just a person that punches a clock so those are my influences again you know i'm not counting my my parents and my brother and, and those are those are givens but those are my influencers even though i said online uh i gave you one online influencer and i gave you two others uh daniel artes and my man maurice so that's what that is all right, that's the take it to the deck segment. Okay, that is a wrap for this episode of Jocks and Nerds United, brought to you by 265 Media, the show that blends the world of the jock and the nerd. I'm your host, Jay Kristen. Today we talked about coaching and how it's important to teach the kids. We talked about social injustice and we talked about a couple of my influencers via Take It to the Deck segment. Let's wrap it up folks hit that follow button 265 media jan you y'all have a good night peace <laughs>